Bioinsights podcast. I'm Roisin McGuigan, an editor with Bioinsights, and in this episode, we'll be exploring the current challenges posed by cryogenic storage containers for cell and gene therapy. We will look at the specific challenges with current optionality and offer considerations for what future innovations in this area might look like. And joining me today, I have Sean Werner and Alex Sargent. Sean is Chief Technology Officer, Cell Processing at BioLife Solutions. He has previous experience filling various roles in the global regulatory and general management functions, supporting medical devices, autologous cell therapy, and single-use disposable development programs. In his 15 years working in the life science industry, he has guided preclinical and clinical testing and submission strategies, leading to global commercialization of multiple medical devices and bioprocessing tools. Alex Sargent, better known as Sarge, is currently the Director of Process Development at Charles River Laboratories. After a brief stint in academia at the Cleveland Clinic, he left Cleveland to pursue his industry career in cell therapy. And during his many years in the industry, he has had the honour of working at several esteemed enterprises on new technologies and approaches for cell therapy scale-up, automation and gene editing. He is especially passionate about the challenge of curing cancer, working on CAR-T and CAR-NK cell therapy process and analytical development from discovery through regulatory submission, manufacturing and pivotal clinical trials. So thank you both for joining me today and I'm really looking forward to our discussion. So first off, how have we landed on the current landscape of options for cryogenic storage containers used in the cell and gene therapy space? And Sean, if we come to you first. Really, I think there are a few paths as opposed to just one. I think on the one hand, um, some of the packaging came out of what the stem cell transplanters were using. So, you know, originally out of the blood industry, blood bags and storage bags that worked well for colder cryogenic processes. Um, and then on the other side, academic groups that sort of developed some of these early cell processes were used to screw cap vials and you know, using them in a biosafety cabinet and kind of controlling things from an aseptic technology perspective, um, but not so much sterile fill as you would see in large, large molecule pharma. Um, and then as time went by, several unique packages have been developed, um, you know, moving from glass vials to COC vials, uh, ready to use sterile closed vials, a couple of different options from there. Um, improvement in bag plastics, so they have a lower fracture rate and just kind of perform better in the, the liquid nitrogen. Um, so it's kind of those different pathways that came together, I think, and that's that's where we are right now. So I would just echo what Sean says, and this is often a challenge in cell and gene therapy, that right, a lot of the options we have available come from research groups, come from, you know, sort of academia. Uh, and at the time, there's not necessarily a lot of forethought given to uh, how you would fit that into an industrial approach to manufacturing, or in this case, right, cryogenic containers for cell and gene therapy. Where do the current offerings fall short as the cell and gene therapy industry continues to grow? 
This is an excellent question. There are a number of options, all of them with their advantages, but all of them, I would say, with uh, disadvantages as well. Uh, one of the areas where current containers fall short is um, scalability. So do you have containers and systems where you can scale up or scale out? We're talking about not just a few containers for, say, a few doses, but hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of containers uh, in order to meet right growing patient demand. For large-scale operations, we typically see it in vials. Hopefully moving away from those screw-top vials that Sean mentioned, more to hermetically sealed and closed filing systems. Uh, the limitation here, right, is usually around volume constraints. These vials are typically 1 to 10 milliliters. They can go up to 50 milliliters, but they tend to have more volume limitations. Uh, another popular option, of course, right, is bags, cryo bags. These, you know, provide more flexibility in terms of volume, but in terms of stability, in terms of robustness, especially during the shipping process, uh, these are more fragile. Uh, and so they also present some challenges and limitations as well. As Sarge kind of alluded to on the small volume side of things, there's quite a few options that serve the industry fairly well. Um, if, if you think about scaling up at a small volume, if needed, we can go to the similar kind of isolator fill systems that need to happen. Some of those already exist for the options that are out there. Um, even before you get to there, there are filling options that work well in a biosafety cabinet for smaller scale as well. So I think the small volume options are, are pretty good. Um, and I don't know that there's necessarily a lot of change that's needed on that side, but it, it really does come back down to the larger volumes where it's still sort of a gap. You know, I mean, bags work, but they take a lot of individual manual manipulation to get them in the right form that you need to freeze. You have additional components like cassettes and racking systems, additional components that you have to put into the shippers, large dry shippers that are expensive to move around the world. Um, you know, as we really think about an industry-wide scale for these therapies, I mean, that that's a really significant ask for the logistics providers for the industry to really support. So I think that's um, really where the gaps are, is, is how do we get a better, larger volume storage container? I would just say I agree 100% uh, with what Sean was saying and kind of a funny anecdote related to bags. Uh, just these past couple of weeks, we had a client where their batch size was roughly 100 bags. They had a beautiful, elegant process start to finish, including built finish. But at the very end of that process, they had a assembly line of laboratory technicians all manually fitting the overwrap on the bags for hours. So especially the large volume systems do have those limitations like Sean was talking about. That's not really uh, ideal for taking labor and costs out of a process, is it? No, it is not. Thank you both. Um, so turning towards sort of the future, what would you say will be the negative impacts of continuing with these solutions as opposed to developing containers that are more specific uh, to the industry needs? And Sean, coming to you here first. Yeah, I think that that was a really smooth transition to this, right? I think I think in my perspective, it really is about the labor and the, the handling that goes into those systems. And it's a huge add to the cost and the time of developing these products 
as well as just manufacturing and shipping these products. I think that that that's the negative element. If we're if we're really going to transition into an industrialized process for these therapies, we just can't be thinking about somebody sitting at a BSC individually wrapping and and pushing air out of these bags to make that a real reality. I think there are some other elements of it too. You know, I, there are some challenges that we haven't talked about. Some of the things like recovery out of those systems as bags sort of collapse as you drain them. You know, if you have an extremely expensive product that you're storing and you need to get as much of that out of that container, there's some challenges with that. Automated inspection processes like looking for particulates, checking for closure integrity. Those are all challenges, I think, that just add to the cost and the time the challenges of the manufacturing process. Right. Just what echoing what Sean is saying, you know, selling gene therapies are the most expensive in the world. And, you know, a real challenge to industrializing you know, these types of medicines is bringing down that cost for our patients. Uh, the other thing I would add as part of that, right, is uh, QC options, quality control options, uh, not just how you're storing and shipping your uh, patient sample or your drug, but also right your QC release aisles or products uh, to different sites around the world potentially. That's a significant driver in cost. And then finally, just to say right the logistics of shipping and handling these very precious therapies, uh, especially when the cost is so high and the stakes are so high. Uh, one could imagine right somebody they love you know, potentially receiving a life-saving cell therapy only to find that during the shipping process, the bag has been pierced or has been damaged in some way to render it no longer usable. Uh, containers that can overcome this are just um, utmost critical when we think about how, you know, important these therapies are for our patients. You know, I think that's an interesting way to end that, you know, as you mentioned, damage during shipping and you know, as I was sort of started off talking about some of the experiences in the stem cell transplant labs, you know, those those clinicians have a long experience of treating patients with these extremely valuable products that they don't get a second chance for. And you know, I've I've had a a couple of transplant clinicians tell me that when they had breakages in the labs, they would just cover the patient with additional antibiotics and dose anyway. And that's how important this stuff is. And and I just think. I think that's something that we need to figure out how to get past. Staying with the theme of the future, what should the cryogenic container of the future look like? And what would you pick out as the most important considerations or features? And Sarge, perhaps we come to you here first. Just thinking about this, I want out of a cryogenic container what I want out of my pickup truck. Something that is rugged, tough, reliable and dependable, something that is adaptable, right? Uh, cell and gene therapies, um, they're so complex and they're so diverse. Uh, you need a container, you need a solution uh, with a wide degree of adaptability in terms of volumes, in terms of right how you might retrieve the sample or the ease with which retrieving your sample and administration, and you know as well as something that is reliable. And like my pickup truck is going to get you where you need to go. I, I think I've spent too much time in regulated industry. I was going to go with reliable, robust, and reproducible, but I think <laughs> we've already covered those topics. So 
but but yeah, I think that's exactly it, right? We we need something that that is just it's just not going to fail, you know, something that we we can rely on that we know our process is simple enough that we can have a repeatable process that we don't have to worry about, you know, how how is it how easy is it to get out of spec from the fill process? All those just things that right now on the larger volume fills that we have to address. And so I think a consistent form factor something that allows you to get the same kind of freezing profiles from small volume to large volumes so that you don't have to continuously optimize that something that is going to take variability out of the process really and and so i think if we can move to something more like what we have for smaller volumes where we've got a rigid container that works really well um, and it's just it can fit into an automated process and um, give you the same results every time that's what i think it needs to have I would just emphasize how important this truly is. It's often something that in my experience can be neglected or an afterthought as this industry is thinking about, right, their process and their therapies, but it is just absolutely critical having the right container, having the right formulation, fill finish option, uh, having all of that in place for your final product. So I would just say, don't neglect that uh, when thinking about your cell and gene therapies. And with that, we're on to our final question. So what additional considerations need to be addressed if truly allogeneic therapies, um, where you're looking at tens of thousands of doses, are found to be more universally successful? And Sarge, perhaps we come back to you here first. I think allogeneic therapies are on the rise. I am a big proponent of that in this industry to help drive down cost as well as to overcome other limitations that you might see with an autologous cell or gene therapy. Now, obviously, right, the challenge there is we're talking about tens of thousands of doses. I would one day like to see hundreds of thousands or millions of doses. I think it is possible. And for there, you truly need, right, a container that is scalable, that can be fully automated or implemented right to an automated platform and solution. And back to the point that there is some adaptability in terms of volume, because these therapies might not be given at extremely small volumes, right? It might be necessitated that it's a large dose at a higher volume range beyond what vials can cover now. And then finally, you know, speaking again to rights, a container that is pliable and rugged, because when you have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of these things being shipped all over the world. You need something that can provide that stability and can provide that right protection for these therapies. I think one of the additional pieces that I've heard folks starting to talk about more and more is really on the logistics side of it. So not only is it making sure that you've got sufficient protection for that container as you're shipping it around, but at that scale, you just can't imagine how you would do that in the current dry shipper type of configuration. I think you've really got to find ways where you can do high density packaging and and, you know, if you're going to have these stored at a central location, then sure, maybe you've got smaller versions of shippers that go out to the clinic as needed. But I don't know how you're going to end up uh, managing that with millions of doses running around the world on that. So I think figuring out how to do high density storage of these products on location at different places or in regional hubs. So really that container, as you're thinking about that specifically, needs to support 
a variety of different logistics opportunities. Um, and I think those still need to be developed, really. You know, if you think about Biofarm, that's been with us for several decades and they've gotten pretty good at it. But even with that, as we went through the COVID um, shipping with vaccines, we weren't ready for that. And so um, I think it's time for us to start looking at how are we actually going to do delivery of these therapies and keep in mind the container is part of that. Just echo what Sean was saying about storage, right? And also about stability, especially with an aloe therapy, right? This is something that may be in transit uh, for multiple days. Uh, and so really having a container that can hold that temperature in the right shipping conditions over multiple days uh, is also going to be critical to making that allogeneic therapy more accessible to patients and right, able to get it to where it needs to go. I think everybody in the industry is so excited about where we've come already and looking forward to where we're going. And I think the fact that we're talking about storage and logistics and things like that really shows that this is transition from concept to to the industrialization phase. And I just that's really exciting for me and for our company. Well, thank you to Sarge and to Sean for such a great conversation. This episode was brought to you in partnership with BioLife Solutions. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to like and subscribe to the BioInsights podcast. Thank you.